Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Softleet. This week, we are talking to Jericho Denman, joining us uh, here on the East Coast at Softleet HQ Live, uh, who is recently back for a short stint from the West Coast. We're going to talk about the war office, his, uh, his company, which is rising high in Hollywood right now, and we'll hear about all his exploits, current and planned. Thanks for joining us. Tune in. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. <laughs> Which one is it? The best one ever is the, the poop stories. Mm. Dude, I was... When it when, comes to podcasts, we do not listen to our own podcast. We just wait for people to ask questions. I'm like, what did I say? Like, oh, Doug, I really like your podcast. I don't actually have any idea what I said. I'm never on them, so I actually listen to quite a few. But when Aaron told me that he wanted to do a poop stories one, it's like punching the steering wheel like, no, no. <laughs> and then I listened to it. I was like, that was actually really fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah, I texted John from the plane. I was like, because we'd already talked about doing one like the next day. I was like, what do you think about poop stories, man? He's like, ah, he's like, I don't know, man. He's like, that might be, might be over the limit. Like two hours later, he's like, uh, so I was just at the gym and I asked a bunch of people about poop stories and they were like, yeah, dude. Dude, you gotta do Dude, the poop John stories. tells a mean poop story. His Have you poop? heard that episode, Jake? No, I haven't heard it. Okay, it's worth I listening have, to. This may be the best one. Righteous poop stories, though. Well, dude, the military <laughs> breeds some like righteous poop stories, but Aaron has like I've heard at least three of Aaron's I shit myself stories. <laughs> Dude, and, the best uh, part is talking awesome. with Kyle Hendrickson about wanting to join the army, and Kyle has um, he does not have diagnosed irritable bowel syndrome, but he has. He has poop problems. <laughs> and he's like, hey, oh, man, I've always wanted to join, but you know, I was told that I'd be a liability on a team. I'm like, um, have you talked to anyone in special operations? Like, I don't know a single person that doesn't take like three to five shits a day <laughs> and has routinely shit their pants. Like, it's not like, oh, this one time it just slipped out. It's like, <laughs> well, I was running and in formation and uh, we couldn't stop and I'm not fast enough to catch up. So, uh, you know, just let it go. Yeah. Dude, I watched a dude. This is not going to turn into a poop you story. Have a poop story? <laughs> Which one? From BRC. Oh, dude, it's the worst poop story. <laughs> I feel like I don't want to go down this fucking rabbit hole. I feel like we've the, already started down the poop stories rabbit hole. Poop stories poop part stories two. Do. <laughs> We're not doing poop stories part two. <laughs> it's part two. All right, I'll kick it off with one poop story, and right. then we have to actually do the podcast. All right. I mean, this is actually the podcast. This is how yeah, it works. This is the intro. Yeah. All right. So, man, I don't even know if I want to tell this one. It's so embarrassing. But no one this, even knows who well, you are. So you haven't introduced yourself yet. That's so, true. so you know a guy that this happened yeah, to, I know right? A guy that, well, so that's the best part of this is now having gone through that course and like other courses and been an instructor for things. You know that the instructor, like from his point of view. It's a big what the fuck moment, which is why I laugh hysterically when I start telling it. I just think of that dude always telling like his point of view, right? So anyway, in in recon school, there's this like ten day patrol exercise. There's like you literally are not allowed to sleep, so the only sleep you get is like stealing sleep. 
So this was day, I think, nine, just total zombified. And I had been sick as fuck all of day eight. And we had, like, day eight was, like, they rotate instructors every, like, 24 hours, you know? It's, like, the total dickhead instructor that was just, like, riding your ass, fucking you all up, like, making you do PT, crazy long movements. Terrible. So the next dude comes in and, like, there's a safety factor, right? Like, when when dudes are, like, they go to start a patrol and like walk in all opposite directions. Yeah. You're like, okay, like I can't let these fucking retards walk like into the abyss and die tonight. Right. Yeah. So he's like, Hey, check it out. Everybody like get your rucks touching each other. If you have to piss, you take one step away. If you have to shit, you take two steps away. You're not allowed to sleep, but I'm going to be gone for steps? like, yeah. How like, thoughtful. He, yeah. <laughs> so he, He's like, I, he's like, you are not allowed to sleep, but I am not coming back for two hours. Like, set a fucking watch. Which means be everyone's sleeping. Right. It's like, the dude knew, right? But we were such fucking zombies. He's like, if I take these morons out on a patrol, like, they're good. Like, they're going to wander off and get lost and, yeah. you know, whatever. You've been an RI, right? So, like, you kind of get that. Rasp yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. We sit down. I have a dream, and I'm like, I was super sick the day before, right? So I'm like shitting all over the place. And in my sleep, I have a dream that I get up and I'm like, fuck, two steps, dude. Like, I'm walking way the fuck away, <laughs> like, wander off into the abyss. And uh, in the dream, I like squat down to take a shit. And as I take a shit in my dream, I take a shit in my pants, like yes! sleeping against my ruck. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, God damn. Like, that just happened. Like, that's what I woke up to, right? So I'm like, oh, fuck, man. So I get up. And, like, you've got an extra, you know, in your packing list, you got, like, that extra set of camis. But you're like, I'm not fucking changing camis. Like, you know, I'll just be a disgusting human being for 10 yeah. days. So I, like, yeah, dig. Did, did you shake them out at least? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> it gets it gets better. So I dig to the bottom of the pack and get, like, skivvies out. I think that I walk, like you know, 50 yards away. I clean myself all up and I bundle up like this most, like it is a gigantic, I'm sick and have been eating MREs like fucking. Is it, is it yellow? Just, I don't know. It's night. It's like, <laughs> just like the most disgusting. Like jambalaya. Yeah. water of jambalaya. Yes. It's just like, it's got heft to it, right? It's like oozing out of the cloth and I ball this shit up and I throw it as far as I can and walk back what I think is like 50 yards to my pack. And, like, I'm all cleaned up. I'm, like, whatever. I, like, you know, go to sleep for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> this dude comes up. Like, the sun is cresting the hill. We've overslept. Now, after being an instructor, that dude probably just went and went to sleep, too, right? And he probably yeah. fucking overslept. <laughs> but I wake up to him screaming, yelling, like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? And look up. And, like, from maybe, like, maybe an arm and a half length away is my shitty poo-filled shorts dangling from a tree like they had gotten caught. So I had walked literally no steps when I thought that it was, you know, like I basically stumbled around on myself and threw these things into a tree at like perfectly eye level. But it gets even grosser because they're literally just like dripping poo. And the dude is like obviously fucking baffled, you know, like what? Like in his mind, I literally hung these shitty things right. like above my fucking head in this tree. Poo tea bag. Yeah, so he starts screaming screaming and fucking made you know, something blows us out of there. We have to throw our rucks on and run away. But I just look at it from it. Like he's like, dude, I walked up and this retard had hung his shitty underwear above his
his fucking buddy that was sleeping next to him, you know? Just th- those are the best stories. When you're an instructor and you see the students doing things, and you're like, what is going through this dude's head? And as a student, like, it seems really logical. The best idea. Like, you yeah. just outlined what seems like a logical course of action. And as an instructor, like, stepping away from it, it's like all the mystery of the Q course dissolved when I became an instructor. Oh, yeah. You're like panic-stricken student, have to graduate, have to be a cool guy, have to get a green hat, have green hat. Well, this isn't actually that hard at all. Like, if you would just calm down and not panic, <laughs> yeah. this is all going to go well for you, you know? Yeah, yeah you just chill out in color. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> chill, chill out in color. Yeah. This will be over the, soon. The softly book of war stories. It's <laughs> just poop stories, actually. Coloring book. Yeah. So, you need a lot of brown crayons for this one. <clears throat> Jericho. Well, you welcome. know that's not a do you does anybody call you Jericho other than people who met you on the internet? Uh people who've met me as an adult, usually. Your bro- who don't do you know like anyone that knew me as a Your brother kid. still calls you. Your brother calls you Jericho. Does he? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, it's because when he talks to me, he's like, Have you talked to Jericho? I'm like, I'm so confused because for so, a while well, I maybe one my brother is one of the only people that <clears throat> knew you as a child. No, no, that no one that knew me as a child calls me Jericho. Everybody calls me Jake. But ah. knew me as a child. I didn't start going by Jericho until <sighs> kind of recently, probably in like the last five, six years. What was the? Was that like a fake Facebook name thing that we all used <clears throat> to do, and it, like people just assumed that was your real name? Jake? No, Jericho. Jericho is my real name. That's your like birth name. Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. it was. You know how everybody has like an internet pseudo name. It's I thought Thomas that James. Was, it's yeah. super hard to believe that uh, <laughs> that Jericho's parents would give him a name like Jericho. That's a fucking rad real name. Thank I'm you. I'm gonna call you. I was. I was like yeah, not I calling that was your you Jericho. Name. Yeah. No, no, that's my real name. You know how Jake I remember, was more of my internet name because it's not my real name. Well, I'm sorry for calling you Jake. Mystery now. solved. Mm. No, that now I'm confused. That, yeah. <laughs> well, so you know how like tons of dudes in the military they've yeah. like got their bullshit like John Smith yeah. face, and you're like, dude, I can't find any of my friends because they all have <laughs> stupid <laughs> fucking fake. I thought names. that was your pen name. Yeah, Jake but, is. All right, Jake's his pen name. So yeah. Jericho's your real. That's your government name. Jericho. Yeah, that's Jericho. my driver's license name. Wow. All right. Well, well cool. So uh, anyway, back to your. Don't get off your fucking phone. Well, I will do what I want. <laughs> you and Aaron have been comparing notes lately, haven't you? Dude, I think it's fucking super annoying when we sit down to have a meeting and I'm talking to you and whoever else and I'm sitting there looking Just and everyone's like notes. doing other shit. I mean, and I'm hearing you. What you say is important you're to not me. Fu- you also, are not five other things listening. are important to me, too. You are not listening. You are hearing me. You are not listening. It's impossible for me to actually listen without looking at titties on my phone. Have you got that, that, uh, an app called Moment? Where you it pauses your phone? So you, no, no, it just tells you how much you're on your phone. I don't it's, even want to think about it's, it. It's why would sad. I get, why would I get that app? <laughs> like, Maybe so you could no, I don't respect w- the wishes of your good friend Aaron. I, I don't want to. Doug just know. needs one that tells him how much he's not on his phone. <laughs> 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 there's, a, there's a lot of negative vibes if, in here right now. It vibrates if you haven't picked it up in six no, minutes. No, no, I mean, <laughs> I get crushed on there. I feel bad every, every time. It, it buzzes you every, like, 15 minutes. Small reminder. This is how long you've been on your phone. <laughs> you slept six hours and my, 15 minutes last see, night. My problem is this. use your phone for five hours. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a real conundrum because with ADD, 
I get these very important messages and emails that are pertinent to what's going on here at the company or Dead Rap Society or whatever, where there are things that I, I need to respond to them. Case in point, Dan Mitchell. We talked on the phone last week, and I was like, Dan, I'm going to get you an email by this Friday, because if I don't, this is like, what, Thursday? Or mm-hmm. it was like Monday, and I was going to do it by Wednesday. Something ridiculous. Like, hey, hey, don't worry. Do it by the end of the week. Well, it's Tuesday, and he just got an email because every day since I told him I'd get it to him, I've been like, man, I need to email Dan. We've been talking Dan. about this for a week now. Like, you need a good system of organization. It, it doesn't help. I have, I have a good system of organization. It's called a notebook that I look at every day, and I have so much to do. If I don't respond immediately – then it falls off the plate and it doesn't get done for like a week. So I'm like, ooh, got a message. I'm going to respond to it immediately. Otherwise, I forget and it won't get done for like a week. Well, Doug's shitty work structure is ruining this podcast. So I need to turn this fucker <laughs> thing around. Let's, let's forget the work structure. And don't slap my pee-pee for doing... Pro- well, I was waiting on you to finish your introduction of Jericho. Well, we wrongly I mean, we didn't get his name right. Jake. He was making a uh, kind of an outline for it on his phone, but you guys ruined it. So one good thing about everybody at, at Softly is that when you're struggling and face planting in a bunch of like mud, your buddy will come and pick you up and dust you off. Like Jericho is like, no, guys, really, he was doing something productive. Or they'll stomp on the back of your head. Yeah, <laughs> your face in the mud. yeah. so Aaron's been stomping on my head, and uh, Jake's been trying to like dust me off so we can continue. Um, so what brings you back to North Carolina? Uh, yeah, so I was in L.A. My, my brother got in a motorcycle crash, uh, and he... He runs a CrossFit gym, so he can barely bend over. Uh, and I, in another life, was a CrossFit coach. So I came back to help run the day-to-day of his of his gym while he's healing up. And but also to go shooting with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to go shoot. When, Thursday? Yep, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. And I, and I might I might enter that. Are you entering no, that No, Saturday, match? bro. Yeah. Enter, for sure. Yeah, I might enter that. We're doing a PCC match. Which match? I don't know what that stands it's, for. It's a new thing. Is it Sir Walter it's, Raleigh. It's called Strategic Match Design. It's uh, out in Ashboro. They do it monthly. So it's not USPSA. So or... it's funny. It's at a place that hosts USPSA events, but this SMD is all over the U.S. now. So They're many doing acronyms. twenty. T- yeah, Strategic Match Design. They're doing uh, twenty-two long rifle PCC and carbine specific. Sorry, I can hear myself in my headphones. I know, but I can't hear you in my headphones. I feel like you're micromanaging me right now. I'm going to suck down this, this microphone. <laughs> that was the most micromanaging thing anybody could have. Uh, I couldn't hear you either. Face four inches. That helps. All right, so I'm going to <laughs> lean into the microphone. Um, but yeah, so essentially they're doing 20, 22 long rifle. Farther. Closer. <laughs> Deeper. Heavy <laughs> <Heavily. laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> So yeah, they're doing. You know how this goes, man. This isn't your first radio. No, it's cool. That's why Brian. Then Brian gets to do work. He gets you to gotta, turn the. You got to pivot around the microphone, right? Ooh. Is that how you talk to? I just look at. at Jake it doesn't actually. <laughs> it actually doesn't work. I'm trying to pivot, but if you get oblique to it, you're gonna be like, oh, I can't hear you. So you got to actually just shift your eyes. You could the the micro it swivels, so you can actually. Why are you just giving us a lesson on the microphone when you just fucked it up? <laughs> <laughs> So, yes. So, uh, <clears throat> Travis, Jericho's brother, was has been trying to guilt me into going to one of these matches for months. And finally, I signed up and squatted on the week the week after, <laughs> after Travis got in a motorcycle accident and then went to a three-gun match in South Carolina. Yeah. Conveniently, 
Jericho's here, so we can all go shoot this PCC is, is match. Is Travis going to shoot it too? All fucked up. Oh yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah, he's squatted. We're we're literally in squad one. So it's uh, oh. Jill Mangato, Travis, myself. Uh, we're all going to shoot on squad one. The so best I have squad. to just get like a. I have to like solicit myself there, in the parking are, lot to get a team or there what are like six <laughs> slots left in the squad get on your phone hand jabs here get, get your hand jabs <laughs> get on your phone right now team, bro? Touch it. <laughs> why, did, why don't you get on your phone and register I'm not supposed to be on your phone in here man yeah. we went over this <laughs> Jake's just sitting there with a bottle of lotion like I need a team <laughs> guess what's gonna I happen I have a squad what's gonna happen is Jericho's not gonna sign up here and now he's gonna forget about it and then there won't be any slots left on Saturday so he's gonna have to sit and watch yeah, if he was on his phone right now saying, signing up. Yep, exactly. Set, Productive. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're leaving out that variable that I really don't care if I shoot in this match or not. But you want Not to. at all. That's tr- if you don't shoot, you could just give hand jobs and drink all day. <laughs> That's <laughs> not the wrong magazine. Like, at the match, or can I pick my own location for that? <laughs> I would do it at the match. Think about Waffle House in Fayetteville. <laughs> <laughs> Waffle House? You gotta take a match down, maybe Huddle House. Oh, yeah. oh, that's, <laughs> that's dark right there. Right, that's uh, the only place you can get herpes from a hand job. <laughs> so before you came back from LA, you went to LA in the first place, and uh, I think that was after after we talked last on the podcast. Love to hear what's been going on in LA, what you've been working on, what you're planning on working on. Yeah, I got. Uh, so when was that? That was like around New Year's, right? Yeah, plug I your company, so. bro. No, I will. Um, just trying to figure out when that was, but no, that was like September, October, something like that. It when you left, you mean when I did the podcast last time? Oh, it was before you left. It was right before I left, too. Yeah, so. I missed yeah, it. I did September, September, October, then because Doug yeah, left. Yeah, I think it was around November, October, right? Yeah, because yeah. in so November, uh, yeah. So last time we talked, I was doing the tech advising stuff. So in November, uh, partner Ray got hired and then brought me on, and we we tech advised uh, mile twenty two. Yeah, the new. Uh, Just saw the trailer the last week. With coming out, um, a lot different than the last gig I did. The last gig, the longer at home was like more. They wanted a lot of you know realism, authenticity, stuff like that, um, and it was an actual, real, true story. So, it was a little bit kind of. So what's your company called? Emotional. It's the fucking, War Office. Fucking plug it, dude. The War Office. I had this whole thing I was going to do. Why don't you do it then? Did I fuck it all up? <laughs> I'm going to stand over here, and I'm going to castigate Brent quietly while you continue yeah, to give I'll, us your spiel. We can bleep me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So uh, the company is uh, me and Ray Mendoza. He's a former uh, SEAL Team 5 dude um, and Bud's instructor. Um, he did West about, Coast teams or Best yeah, Coast teams. Yeah, he was a West Coast guy, so I'll interact with him. Um, but yeah, so we we did that. Um, as we were doing that, just kind of building uh, our slate, what it's called, you know, just a bunch of projects that we're developing uh, to to try and and produce, get made. Um, got a couple features on there. Um, two series, one kind of a interview slash recree series mm-hmm. um pretty much along the lines of i don't know if you guys ever watched the warfighters it used to be called live tell yeah weren't you yeah. involved with that as well or one I, episode i helped find the guys i was still active so i couldn't do it okay um but ray was the producer so officially no you were not but you were yeah officially it wasn't but I mean, you're out now so really you can wasn't. do whatever you want so now the, i can do whatever i want you guys want to know shows? <laughs> or, or is it to continue working more on a technical advisory type role no so yeah we're not we're trying to 
push ourselves out of the world of tech advising. I mean, yeah. we will still do it in the projects that we develop and produce on our own. Mm -hmm. um, but the end goal is to you know just produce, and then in doing so, be able to bring on and hire more vets, get them into the world, get them on tech advising jobs, um, or if whatever they want to do, you know, stunts, grip, and you know anything that's on a movie set. Um, yeah. Uh, we we hope when we start producing our own things that we can provide that for vets guys getting out and transitioning and get them into the into that world if they want to go there. When you guys are working on a project like Mile Twenty Two, as opposed to the Long Road Home, where the Long Road Home is really like you were saying, supposed to be like as realistic as possible, right? Mile Twenty Two is an action film. So, <clears throat> how does that work? You know, is, is the director asking you, like, hey man, you know, like how would this guy hold this, you know? this suppressed, you know, submachine gun in his jacket or uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um John Woo says it's this way, but Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's So that's one of the things that we we hope to do in I mean, we still want to I like tech advising. I still want to do it. Um and I and I'm going to be doing it, you know. This the the producing thing takes a long time and I got to keep the lights on somehow. Yeah, and I'm not talking so, shit about it. I'm like legitimately no, 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 curious. I know. Yeah, I know. It, it's uh Yeah, so what we hope to do in the war office is kind of take that tech advising to the next level, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody who went to basic training can come in and be like, keep your finger out of the trigger well, dude. Um, don't call him Sarge, call him Sergeant. Like that, that shit's easy, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, what we're trying to hope or hoping to do um, when I say take that to the next level is combine our, our knowledge, our, our, our base and experience and combine it with, being dudes who know what a cool movie looks like, right? You know, um, kind of like a directorial thing, right? You're you're half. If you're doing it right, you should be one part military expert, one part director, one part stunt coordinator, sure, right? So that you can, and, and then also one part like director of photography. So in order to do that, you have to know what all these guys are looking for and what they need and the language they speak, right? Mm -hmm. So. An actor, I can go and teach an actor how to do a mag change all day. If they don't look at it from a certain angle, it's not going to look cool. You know, it's not going to matter. Right. Um, it's not going to matter as much to is them. So, why, is that why the fat man is such a highly sought after commodity in, in Hollywood? Who's the fat man? Taron Butler. I don't even know who that is. He's like a USPSA. He's, he's a phenomenal shooter. No, he's an okay. amazing well, shooter. Is, is he the, he's he's the, the guy John Wick? John Wick, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Lovingly um, referred to as the fat man. I hope I see him soon. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk shit about anybody. I don't know why. No, I don't no. know why they. I don't know why they're looking for him. To be honest. Uh, well, so it, it, no, I think Douglas. I think Douglas cool. trying to say it in a good way. Like, I'm joking. No, no, no. That dude, I mean, that dude moves a, like he's quick on his feet. But well, he is, what's crazy about him is he he point shoots better to, than I like, shoot with yeah, sights. Better, better than guys shoot with sights. So when like he runs a plate rack, his like fastest time on YouTube is literally him running a plate rack, shooting his pistol from the hip. Like How many times has she shot that exact plate rack from that exact exact? I mean, position. fucking plate rack, so a million times, yeah. right? But <clears> he knows. I mean, he knows, man. When I mean, you watch his videos of like actual matches where he's like running and gunning, and mm -hmm. the dude's not like an in shape, he's not tactical, but he's literally just point shooting. Like, he's, he's yeah, he is fast and smooth. Yeah, and super yeah. fucking accurate. Not even looking at the I sights. Mean, that's awesome. Here's what I mean. But that wouldn't look. That's why cool it translates, right? Well, it does look cool. That's what John Wick's doing the whole time, right? He's like so point shooting. It's worth noting that in all of his promotional material that comes with his products, 
he bills himself as the world's first and only triple crown USPSA multi-gun national champion. Yeah. That's why, you know, like in, in tech advising, whether whether it's in an action movie or a you know, a nonfiction movie or what's supposed to be nonfiction. The thing that you look for is not I, I and and somebody in the business, kind of a mentor of mine, taught me or told me this and you're not looking for realism. You're looking for authenticity. Yeah, right? there's a right, difference. Sure. Yeah, I grasp, grasp that. While here's the thing: like, I wouldn't be bought. Like, if if they wanted me, you know, to have a guy shooting like that from the hip, I would be like, no. I mean, it may look cool, but that's like, it's stupid because right. there's there's like one there's guy, like one dude who, who can, can do, do it. it. Yeah, you know. Well, so, but how do you balance that against? Like, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Matrix, right? Like, no one is going to be shooting one-handed, 50-cal Desert Eagle gun. Yeah. But Every Arab I've ever gotten a gunfight with is absolutely doing that. (laughs) 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 Uh, Maybe maybe I I stand corrected. Shouting, inshallah. Is that the the lingo now? We say Arabs? Um, That's the lingo? Should I say say Middle Easterner? I mean, I th- if they're Arab, I guess you could say that they, they are. Arab, I've yeah. never said that they're Arabs. I know well, that, but isn't that weird? It depends, right? They're not could all be. Arabs. I've never gotten in a gunfight with anyone of the IRGC variety, to my knowledge. Well, those right. are not Arabs. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I, I guess technically, uh, Southwest Asian should be the terminology I apply. I'm not saying it's wrong. I've just never heard it. Yeah. Well, now you have like, do you hear it pronounced like Arab over in the regiment? <laughs> Oh, we don't even use that word. What do you it, call it? Would be some kind of slur. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what is your preferred slur? My I, the, the, my last preferred one was bug for, for bug reader. <laughs> well, bug could be a term Aaron's, of endearment. Aaron's going to become increasingly uncomfortable as we go down this road. <laughs> I don't. I, bug I don't could mind. be a, a term of endearment, though. You know, like, oh, it's my bug, or like your good bug. You know, my good bug reader. Still, still a slur. Booger, is is <laughs> booger eater a slur? Yeah, man. Any for yeah. what? Any pejorative term used for a particular racial subset is a slur. But it, but booger is not a particular racial subset. Like that's yeah. A, you can eat your boogers. Yeah, you're <laughs> from. I mean, yeah, that's like, true. You can call me a booger a, eater. A booger eater is just like a dude that's not that smart and needs his boogers. Right? That's me. Like that could be on any continent. <laughs> like we've we've got booger eaters in Softly, right? I've got like, two God, back in my house. I'll get my boog on that. <laughs> Scout complains that her but her nose holes are too small to get her fingers in so she can't actually eat the boogers plus she doesn't want to cause herself a nosebleed so she's very cautious smart girl yeah yeah um well anyway but (laughs) (laughs) the matrix like that is the when you think of that movie that's one of the iconic stylistic cues of that movie in my opinion well and the balance is like you're looking to take what you know about a real gunfight and apply it in a way that is that people can see on camera as cool as opposed to like, hey man, look at this super boring fight that we got in where we like hit behind cover the whole time and then we called a bomb in. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, and I, I mean, depends on the movie, I'm sure. Yeah, it depends on yeah. the movie. There's, there's why, there's a why. Like the Matrix, it's so fa- you know, it's almost like science fiction to where sure. I, well, I mean, it is. It is yeah, almost hundred percent science it is fiction. fiction. <laughs> it's an alternate reality, just yeah, because you yeah, chose the yeah, exactly. blue pill. But you know, in anything else. You don't want any of that stuff to be a distraction, right? You want right. it to to uh, help the story, be 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 a catalyst for the story, not be a distraction from the story. And that's why in the the realistic stuff, you have to you have to get all those little things right because 
even if a person was in the army, there's things that will will stick out and just make a movie look like garbage. Um, so I think with with an action movie, there are some of those things, you know, like oh, she just shot forty eight rounds and didn't change her mag, or you know, he's not looking through his sight, or you know, those little things that can be or maybe there are no sights on the weapon at all. That's I've a big go to. Seen I, that? I think yeah. for me when I'm watching one. And I, I'm not one of like some guys. They'll watch an action movie and they try to be like it's like the dickheads commentating on Instagram about some dude Why'd shooting his dance. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Why, no. Why is your finger in the trigger so much? Yeah, that's what I was we thinking of. Was video. we made a video of Doug dry firing and and there was like eighty, literally like eighty five fucking comments where guys were like, "He's got too much I spent finger on the trigger." Thirty nine years as a sniper instructor for the army. <laughs> like, like, so no one that qualified commented, but a yeah. lot of thirty nine year cops had a real issue with uh, the fact that I wasn't holding revolver grip or yeah. whatever their problem uh, was. But anyway, yeah. So oh uh, yeah, dude. I can watch a movie that's like totally dicked up, but if if it's consistent and yeah. it fits the film, right? The Matrix is like you're not watching the Matrix for like a realistic gunfight scene, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're like we're like equilibrium or like whatever whatever you're watching, but yeah. consistency Highly choreographed. To me, yeah, consistency you- to me is like the key, right? Like if in one scene the dude is like blasting away and has to do like eighty seven mag changes, I wanna like I don't want to see that then he goes and shoots like an 87 round string of fire with no mag change. Yeah. yeah. Right? I, like I it's guess, like, yeah. And I'm curious on the technical advisor side, you know, is it the like, technical advisor in the context of the movie that's mm-hmm. like, man, you know, it would be really cool if like the dude picked up the minigun that just fell off that truck right now. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's, and that's in, what in, I, in, in your defense and that guy's defense. It that would, it is would look cool, really cool. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm getting at in, in saying that we want, or hope that the bar of tech advising can get raised by by us, um, and and that is, it's it's having experience, it's being assertive, and it's having good people skills. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a director is is an artist. You have to understand, like, make that person understand that you're going to make their project better. You know, right. um, well, there's a lot of guys you're not going to win, right? Like, yeah, you got to know like, win. Got a hard on for that minigun. Yeah, right, dude. Like he's gonna pick up the fucking yeah. minigun. It did, the, the no matter how you I cut it, have yet to win. Just giant explosions. People love giant explosions. It's not it's like, real life. It's not real life, and 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 it doesn't really look that cool. I opinion. mean, it looks kind of it looks kind of cool. But I mean, let's let's go back. <laughs> the and guy say, from Texas, like, oh man, we got bigger right, sure. explosions are better. <laughs> All right. Also, hey man, nobody could pick up a minigun. Uh, for the record, the only person that ever mattered picked up a minigun. And shot it until it was empty in a jungle, and that is iconic and real as it gets. I don't want to fight about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's 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 um. I think going back to what you were asking is 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 it's understand. You also have to understand like what their their kind of their vision is, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want it to be bloody, but how bloody? How how nasty do they want to get? You know how. How do they want to make the protagonist, the antagonist? How do they want them to look? Do they want them to be evenly matched? Do they want them to be totally overmatched? Like, there's a lot of little variables that you have to just pick the brain of the director, sure, and, and find out what what he wants or or she wants. All right. So, yeah, that's. Can we talk about your largest film triumph of all time? Thank you for your service. I haven't seen that actually. Oh, I thought you were one of the consultants for that. No, Ray was my partner. <laughs> Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, I mean, but just for like. 
that one. I think there's like one gunfight scene. Right? I was just leading into that because yeah. I knew that it's your favorite slogan. Oh yeah. What is what is, what yeah, is thank you I'm, for your service? I'm lost. It's a movie about yeah, based on a book. It's a movie yeah. based on a book, but I know that descriptive. Thanks, guys. <laughs> It's, it's about the military, too. It's about this guy who's like, he's all talking about thank you for service stuff. Yeah. He comes home and he's misunderstood. He's riddled with PTSD. It's full of every trope. Does he go, Jericho go into the woods and fight people off with a knife? That's uh, Legends of the Fall. <laughs> the bear was inside of him. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually haven't seen it. Um, I was really I've bringing heard that it's up. Not, I actually heard it's not bad. Really? Is it, is it I, out? Is it on Netflix? I got a long flight. It was a direct up, so. video thing, right? No, I'm just. Kidding. It just did very poorly. <laughs> I'm, 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 can I'm you continue. say that in the bit, or do like people? Can you call a spade a spade like that in the sense of like all those video? This movie did really poorly at the box office, and nobody's going to get butt hurt about. Yeah, you yeah. That? Well, yeah. I mean, here's here's the thing too. Is like the other thing you have to understand about tech advising is once they wrap, like I'm gone. I have nothing to do with it. So so when I'm on set, right, and they do a take, and somebody does something that's just looks stupid, like all fucked up, and I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 and like I go in and I fix whatever they did, we get it, and we take four more takes, and it's great. I feel good about myself. Well, then they go into post-production, and they start editing it, and somebody didn't mark that that scene, that first take was all screwed up because of X, Y, or Z. Then the editor sits behind it and he's like, yeah, the way that one was, it was like, you know, 1.8 seconds and this other one was 1.9 seconds. I really want to use that one. So I'm going to use that one because I have no reason not to because I'm a film editor. I have no idea what I'm seeing. So a lot of that stuff makes it through post-production because we're not there anymore. Right. And so whenever there is a movie that comes out that's garbage and i know the tech part I'm, I'm not instantly like dude that guy sucked <laughs> he, look at all this shit i mean there's plenty of stuff in 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 stuff i've done that it, it just happened to be the wrong take that they used sure um, so oh. so but now you're looking to kind of go past the technical advisor role would that take you to a place where you are in the editing room yes right. yeah and that, so aside from making our own stuff but like like I was talking about taking the, the tech advisor to the next level and hopefully as, as we produce our own content we can get more guys bring them in kind of show them the ropes of tech advising explain our standards of what tech advising should look like mm-hmm. and make that the standard across the board in, in the industry right so all it would take is them bringing us in or bringing a tech advisor in once a week be like hey here's what we got this week watch it yeah cool check blah 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 oh no this change this to this like and, and actually they've been pretty good on mile 22 about it we've gone in a couple times watched a couple of the mm-hmm. big gunfights and just been like oh no i remember this like use this angle better because it that it, it shows x y or z whatever um so absolutely in in any of our projects we're gonna keep you know a tech advisor there for post-production sure um and then also the thing that we try to convey to um directors producers is the earlier you bring us on, the more money you're going to save. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. You have to pay us to be there for, say, four or five weeks of pre-production, but you're not going to have to buy two sets of kit. You're not going to have to buy two sets of guns. You're not going to have to 
have any emergencies because you ordered the wrong uniforms and now you have to order a hundred new uniforms that are right. the right ones or else it completely ruins your movie. Or like refilming entire action scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <coughs> so in pre-production, there's a lot of the, like the, uh, the ways that they talk about like storyboard, the, the scenes and stuff like we can save them from getting, you know, the wrong set or the wrong chunk of the studio or whatever. There's a lot of things that if they would bring us on sooner, they would end up saving a lot of money, but you know, it's, they forget about it until the next time they use you guys and they're like, Oh fuck. If, yeah. You know, we should have hired them a month sooner. And it, and it's, um, it's Hollywood too. So kind of the way it, when they do these, these movies, it's always kind of an expansion team. You know, it's like a new team every time. Yep. Sure. So <clears throat> they don't have those, you know, it's not a battle drill to them. You know, while they've done, they're, they're super experienced. The, 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 cohesion that we have kind of in the military because even though I haven't ever done this with you, there are rules about how I do this and how you do your thing. So it's cohesive and, and they don't, a lot of that stuff doesn't carry over. Well, and you're that. trying to push the boundaries, right? Like if, if you're trying to, you know, go from, Oh, I'm just a tech advisor that tells you to keep your finger off the trigger to like, I'm going to orchestrate a gunfight and that's not <clears throat> being done so much. Yeah. The last dude they worked with was just like, nah, man, you hold the rifle this way. And like, that was his shtick. And yeah. your stick it now is like, no, no, this guy needs to be here. He's going to move, you know, you're taking that, that step deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And so. that's, that's, and that's across like all departments, you know, right. you, you wardrobe, special effects, stunts, like all that. And, and, you're right. If they've worked with good dudes before, then they're like, oh, thank you, thank you. But if if, you, if they haven't, and you come up and you're like, hey, you need to change this and this and this, I'm so-and-so, they're just like, they'll go and ask somebody else. Right. You know, bit, well, like, last time I worked with <laughs> yeah, 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 this dude that was in in 1984. He was a Texas Ranger during Panama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, is, uh, how is it working with uh, Mark Wahlberg, man? Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so can I I want to backtrack when you're talking about like not buying two sets of guns, right? Like when it comes to like wardrobe and kit, I get like like most of that stuff is open source. You're buying it or like someone's bringing it in like as a wardrobe set. But when it comes to guns like I know years ago there used to be huge warehouses full of like military equipment, machine guns, mortars from like huge war sets. And a lot of that stuff was just getting rented out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, hey, we got a Vietnam theme movie, bring in the Vietnam set, you know, bring yeah. in a hundred M16A1s. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> that's cool. But now in movies, you're seeing like weird custom stuff popping in, like like product placement, right? Like yeah. we watched, uh, what was it, uh, 13 Hours? Where yeah, the 13 Hours of yeah, the War Sport Rifles? There's like salient, salient guns. That's right. Yeah, salient guns in there. You're like, <laughs> there's no salient guns, you know, yeah. in real life. Yeah. But that's product placement, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, and that that's actually like been a sore subject with some tech advisors because the whoever's making the movie they like say let's say not that this ever happened but let's say beretta said hey we'll give you all these guns to work with for free if you put them in your movie they're not right so they're not real guns right no they're real guns. i mean they're just they're just modified what and it's just like they just weld a plug and have a, a yeah you basically put a blank adapter yep in the, in barrel. the barrel right yeah okay um, but you know yeah but i mean to get full auto guns like 
these like a lot of these guns are NFA. Well, they're not shooting blanks a lot of the time either, right? Like they're no. CGIing the most firing. of the time. It's it's real because it's oh, a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah, okay. but uh, and it just looks better to have someone with like act, active feedback of a gun. But those guy, the guys that are the armorers on set, they have like I don't know what they're called. I'm not an acronym guy, but yeah, like the most ridiculous yeah. gun license you they're can have. Like, guys. You're allowed to have a, a cruise missile in Destructive your backyard. Destructive devices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that's what they have. So okay. yeah, they're. They're legit. They're is legit that guns. is that often just like a homeboy hookup? Like, oh man, I own a gun company and I know Jericho. So like, hey bro, sneak this fucking AR that I'm about to drop into the movie. Yeah, yeah. it's all like hookups. Like, and, yeah. and those you know studios are always looking to save money. So if if I need to pay this this you know armor whatever however many grand to bring his guns out, but then you know. Sig calls me and is like, hey, we want our guns to be in your movie. We'll give them to you for nothing. Nice. Then it's like, well, that's fucking easy. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys, so. I got to roll. Keep this thing going. Have, have cool fun. <clears throat> Storming the castle. Indeed. High fives all around. Yeah. Oh, that was kind of a weak high five. That was, that was more of like a patty cake. I was trying not to make noise <laughs> for the microphone. <laughs> um, Thanks for so, letting me off the hook by setting alarms and having your phone vibrate the entire podcast. Are you going to see Jimmy Dolan there? Is he going to show you the shake and bake? I don't know who Jimmy Dolan is. Yeah. So but. one thing that you'll discover about Brent is that he's younger, and we're not actually allowed to make 80s film references anymore. Oh. <laughs> we're on a, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? we're, on a, we're on a strict no more 80s references <laughs> company policy. <laughs> Jimmy Dolan's shake and bake. All right. um, how do you like living out in California, man, versus New York City? I mean, Oof. really, like, other side of the country. Yeah, um... There's like pros and cons and 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 uh, let's not let's not get it twisted. Jericho much prefers the West Coast. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, based absolutely. on Instagram, I, I see yeah, that. Yeah, Instagram. Sure. Instagram but leads you to believe everything's it. happy on Instagram. <laughs> I'm actually a very well, sad no, person. I say it only because I know you were you were digging living in New York. Yeah, yeah. There's so, there's definitely stuff I really miss about New York, um, and stuff I don't like about LA like yeah. already um, I don't know I mean so, is it is it the beach what what is the oh yeah the like main... the, the kicker for me is just I mean it's just a healthier place to live you know yeah. I think in New York people are kind of uh, not everybody but a lot of people are they so they self-identify with what they do for work mm-hmm. like how successful they are in work and I think in California people more self-identify with how much they enjoy their life mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I'm like this crazy yoga person or I'm like a CrossFit person or I love going hiking. Like that's kind of what identifies people in LA is like what they do to be healthy. Yeah. And in New York, it's more like I work at such and such or I work 20 hours a day. Like they have this kind of like, is that true even within the microcosm of the entertainment industry? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The no, no. It seems like that would people, be a very like caste system, yeah. You know, people who are structure, yeah. I think the people that are like successful in the entertainment industry in California are are very much that kind of more New York model. They're workers, yeah. You know? They they put their time in. Um, it's a big misconception about Hollywood is that it's a bunch of like spoiled, lazy crybabies. You know, like right. If you're successful in the film industry, if you're a director or like a big actor. 99 out of 100 times you've put some fucking work in. I don't like, think oh, there's, sure. there's no like there's no career field that involves being 
indigent. Like you don't get to the top of the pack by being like, oh, you know, I just don't think I'm going to do anything today. Wait for yeah. something yeah. to land in my lap. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are like a you know, I said 99 out of 100. There are those offshoots that were. You know, someone saw him in a bar and were like, oh, you're beautiful. Will you be in my movie? And they're instantly famous. But for one the most day, part. One day that's going to happen to us, Jericho. <laughs> Hang out in so many bars and just Speak talk to yourself, so many Dave. random old guys. It's not <laughs> happened to me yet. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, for every one of those, there's 99 dudes who have slept on a couch for like four years trying to make it as an actor or, or whatever. Yeah. No, I believe it. Um, a friend of mine from high school got a job with uh, CAA after he graduated from actually Columbia in New York. And, you know, he went out there and as cliche as it sounds or as it is, you know, it was everyone starts in the mailroom. Like, I don't yeah. give a fuck if you came from Columbia or we picked you up off the street or whatever. Yeah. Everyone starts in the mailroom and you'll be working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week and that's where you go from there. Yeah. So, and ultimately after about two weeks, he was like, fuck this and went back to New York. But <laughs> I mean, it is interesting seeing the, like the people's willing submission to that cast system too, where like, you know, like do you get the production assistants that are oh, just, yeah. man, they are just shit upon. Oh, and like, like being a consultant, like I've done, I've done a small version of what you've done as a, like a film consultant. And I was always laughing because you're kind of like, you don't really work for the production company. Yeah. You're a contractor. So no one really tells you what to do. Yeah. They don't shit on you. They expect you to show up and provide some sort of expertise, be available. Mm -hmm. But you're not in the power structure, right? Yeah. So you, you could tell the director to go fuck himself. And it, they may be upset, but at the same time, they realize that you're just this limited, like, yeah. okay, that dude's going to be gone you, tomorrow. You're Whatever. like, uh, yeah, it, it's awesome. You're like a, they don't know. Like, no one knows where you fall in the pecking order, so you're, they don't know if they're, yeah. like, allowed to tell you to fuck off <laughs> you're, or You're not. the warrant officer of, <laughs> yeah. of Hollywood, right? Like, exactly. you show up, you, you throw some weight around, then you disappear and do your own thing. Yeah. But, like, watching people that you interact with, like, as a consultant, like, I talk with the grips. I talk with, you know, the sound guys. You talk with the PAs. You talk with the director. You talk with, like, everybody that's the talent that's involved. Yeah. And you see them all as human beings, but like within the structure of the production, yeah. like maybe that's not how everyone sees everyone. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. where's Crafty? Why are there not snacks? I'm like, oh, uh, they were running some other errand for somebody, and they're like, not here. No, man, that, they could get fired for this, you know. And the PA's like, oh my god, like I can't believe, like you know, this is. I can't believe I screwed up so bad. I'm like, man, you're doing like 18 things. Like, what? <laughs> how how could you not drop the ball on one thing? And they're like, you know, man, this is just so important. I'm like, how much do you get paid to be shit on like this? And they're like, nothing. The I PAs had to, pay to be here. Yes, like they don't pay for your living expenses or anything. They're paying you like minimum wage, mm -hmm. and the PAs are all living together, like six people to a budget apartment that they yep. found on Craigslist for the production, and like. Yeah. And they, 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 they love it. This is a stepping stone towards yep. what I really want to do. Supply Dude, and demand, and, man. And in L.A., like, if you're a PA somewhere, you're lucky. They like, they're like, oh, I'm so lucky to have this job. Like, like Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you have are. visibility. You're meeting people. Yeah. I, I get yeah. why it's a thing, but it's just. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's bad. It's, it's like watching Ranger Privates run around. And, yes. and like the director and the first AD are like their their team leaders, just and, like crushing their and nuts all And they all, all take it for granted. Like the people who are sh doing the shitting. And the people who are being shitted on, all just like this is this is the natural order of things. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Well, would it be any other way? No. And and you know what? It's like it's like talking to an Afghan, uh, Afghani about sexual abuse, <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> I was raped. 
and uh, now I'm going to rape this young boy. He's they don't gonna, really call it that, though. Yeah, no, they don't. It's uh, you know, I, I mentored this guy. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I was mentored in my youth, <laughs> and like for them, it's a natural progression of things. Like in Hollywood, so, they're like, yeah. like, oh, we can. <laughs> I was treated like subhuman by uh, people before me, and I'm going to treat this person like a subhuman, and it makes them better. And I mean, honestly, maybe they're onto something. I don't, <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I think those. Those systems that move forward just because, like, that's how it was for me. Is it, I don't think that's always a valid reason. It may be a valid strategy because of some other reasons, but well, the power structure is very clearly delineated there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and well, people, the it's there's like, strong momentum in systems like that. We say in soft that your reputation is everything, right? Like, you know how you like your 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 work ethic and like how you actually carry yourself. People remember from unit to unit, like people talk yeah. about you yeah. and it's the same way there. where like, you mm-hmm. know, like the PA knows if I slack on this job, the next one I want, they're going to call and talk to like whoever my boss was. And yep. they're going to be like, that person was lazy. Don't hire them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to be a, a goat fucker, hard to be a bridge builder. You know? yeah. So they're, uh, yeah, it, you can go from here to zero pretty fast. What have you guys been industry. doing to network out there? Um, yeah, so like, yeah, doing the producer thing, it's been I don't know, I don't want to say challenging because it's not it's not like it's it's hard, but it is it is a very very different world. It's just switching gears and and forcing yourself to be busy. Um, so it's it's you know multi pronged. Um, it's it's seeking content, you know, um, which it's kind of it's been kind of cool since we've kind of gotten off mile 22 and, and kicked this off um, people are finding us now mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how but our names are out there um, guys are approaching us with you know um, existing media like books or or just treatments they've written or whatever um, so it's it's pulling that stuff in kind of going through it and saying hey yes this is something we want to pursue with you or yeah, I think you'd be better off you know doing this mm-hmm. Um, so it's taking all that stuff in and, and digesting it. It's also just, you know, it's being, it's, it's just networking, you know, one-on-one it's, it's going through and being like, Oh, I worked with this guy. I'm going to just say hi to him and right. see what he's got going, you know? Um, and that's really how it works with, with, uh, this stuff. It's, it's amazing to me how much money is in the industry, but how few systems there are, um, to where, you could have identical projects going on like a mile away from each other and no one knows or or someone is looking for something that someone else has that's three blocks away but they don't know right. so it's it's trying you know it's it's just being out there as much as you can and like telling people what's on your slate what you're working on asking them what they have if you can help in any way putting them in touch with other people so that you know people aren't working against each other and and that just gets you you know seen like so you know, six months from now, when a guy that I had dinner with is having dinner with another guy, and he's like, "Man, I really want to do this thing about this, but I don't, I don't know anybody that has any like real world knowledge of that or whatever." I don't know. I don't know. He's like, "Well, dude, I know a guy that did that, yeah. or I know a guy that knows a guy that did that," and that's pretty much what at this point that's what producing is to us. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we do have a few things on our slate that are done, um, mm-hmm. and that's just a matter of you know, selling those projects around to, to studios or, or talents and, and trying to get those those greenlit and made. Cool. Yeah, I think, uh, I feel like everyone I know, which is not 
not that many people in the entertainment industry are always talking about meetings. You know, either yeah. like, dude, I just had a meeting, or we should ha- we should have a meeting. Like everything is evolved. It's lots of it revolves yeah. around meetings, yeah. uh, which you know it sounds like it's just basically networking. And yeah, but there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of cachet and like it, who you have meetings with and where you have them. Yeah, you know what I think a lot of the reason for that in Hollywood is like why it's meetings. Like mm-hmm. yeah, you could very easily get these things done over email. I think people are all petrified of having their ideas stolen from each other. All right. Yeah, so I think that's a lot of the reason that which is weird because you're in an environment too where like people have the means to steal. You know, like in our market space, you could talk with people about the idea that you have. There are certain things <clears throat> like especially low-level guys, like like if you're starting a t-shirt company, the idea that someone else is stealing your design is well, a, someone already has. I mean, no, it's it's constantly in their mind. It's constantly a threat, right? Like sure. the threat that your idea could be stolen. Like this T-shirt design that you put time and effort into, someone else is doing it, and it's taking away from your market share. But really, there's enough pie for everybody to eat, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's no shortage of T-shirts being bought by people on the internet. You see sometimes like two movies come out pretty close to each other. It's like man. Yeah, yeah someone, well, you know. Yeah, but some, I mean, yeah. again, one of those movies was done much better than the other. Yeah, usually. right. And so, like, therein lies. That doesn't the, mean that that was the original one, though. No, certainly not. Um, that's why I was. I was going to say, Hollywood is the kind of place where the 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 fear of having your idea stolen is real because other people have the means to take your idea and do it better than you would have done it. Right. Yeah. Like Michael Bay is always available for the next Transformers. And there is a billion dollars for the budget, you know. Like, yeah, I, yeah. like, I've got this movie where cars turn into robots to protect human beings. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be super rad. Um, never been done before. Uh, Michael Basic, I heard about this thing where robots turn, you know, cars save the planet. Yeah, I'm going to do it really well. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean that. That to me, I just listened to this podcast uh, with. The guest, I forget that. I think the podcast was called The Moment. The guest was the guy that wrote The Arrival. And he was talking, apparently, that movie took 10 years to make. Yeah. And partly because the it's based on a book. And if you've seen the movie, you know, it's like kind of this abstract concept about yeah. aliens and time and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't until the writers found the director, and I forget who directed the movie, but he's, you know, he's like a. He's a guy that had a, a lot of success and was the type of guy that, hey, if we get this guy on board, like he's going to be able to go to a studio mm-hmm. and like sell the project. Yep. Um, you know how important is that to you guys right now? Like hitching your wagon to two people that that have that gravity to get projects moving forward. I mean, yeah, that's it's it is important to us, but mm-hmm. we want to do it on our own. If sure. that makes sense, I mean there there are there are a few guys in our in our network that could absolutely be somebody to make, but you know something that we want to do in everything that we all the content that we produce we want to remain honest to it. Um, so that means right now we're at a phase where if, if, if we were to get if we were to use any of those levy any of those, um, we're looking at losing a lot of control over what these projects are. And the projects that we have right now are ones that we've had for a while and we're kind of like near and dear to our hearts. So we don't want to lose that control. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we're, we're just plugging along, um, doing it kind of how everyone else does it without 
the favor thing, um, so that so that it's our stuff. So that we sure. Can, so that we can, you know, it, it's very important to us that, you know, ten years from now, if there's if if Doug wants to make a movie about you know his desert vacation, that he trusts us to bring it to us. The mm-hmm. best, the best deployment ever. Yeah, it's going to be. A good I would like to point out that there are massive air quotes going around deployment. <laughs> yeah, it's so like I feel like this movie could gain a lot of traction if I was to be like, we were all fobbits and young. <laughs> Broadway stage play. Yeah, it would be a good Broadway show actually. Yeah, yeah. lots I, of singing. I, I like singing. Yeah. Show tunes are a favorite of mine. Big yeah. kick line. Yeah. <laughs> a big kick line. But yeah, but about your question, I mean, not to say that. You know, we aren't getting anything from those relationships because sure. we have relationships with some, you know, if I were going to name drop, some pretty legit dudes in the, yeah. in the industry. I like the way that legit dudes is a name drop. Yeah. I, I might know I don't want Steven drop. Spielberg. No, I, and I, I'm not asking for that information. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, but oh. I'm saying um, I don't want to, like, downplay what those guys do for us. They give us lots of advice. They steer us in the right directions. Um, sure. But at this point, it's not like, hey, can you – direct this thing that we're going to we're doing because we know you're going to say yes because you're our friend no and i wasn't saying even from a favor standpoint i think like with the arrival basically what they were saying was the studios were all looking at it the ones that were interested and kind of saying all right you know this is a little bit out there until we oh. until we find a guy that we know yeah. is going to helm this, yeah. that really we trust to like take this to completion and not turn it into this giant abortion of a, yeah. you know like a, a you know this concept piece. Yeah, um, no one's going to give you money to be like, hey, here's fifty million dollars to go make this like time, you know, time travel alien movie, right? Yeah, unless um, it has like something attached to it to where they're like. That's going to put asses yeah, in the seats. Yeah, director or you know or some actor. major actor. Matthew McConaughey is the sexiest so, man ever. I guess, yeah, <laughs> my question was more, how important is that for you guys right now to be able to get your projects moved forward, you know, to, to kind of find that gravity? Yeah, that's everything. Right. You know, it, it, you either need a butt ton of money, a big name, mm-hmm. or, or a director. Um, so, or, or a studio, but they're not going to say yes to any of that without one of those three things so how do you start so, you know how do you get, start building that momentum yeah that's what you do you just you know for the things that we actually have you know a script for we just have meetings and uh yeah. and show them to people send them to people hey you know send them to agents publicists um the actors themselves directors like so seeing if any of them want to do it mm-hmm. you know and and that's that's producing or, or it is from our from our end right now a lot of pitching yeah yeah, it's just getting people to want to do, and you know they have to. Um, the, at the end of the day, they have to, they have to know it's going to make them money. Sure, you know if if it's our pet project that's near and dear to us, it's it's just one of like fifty scripts that they read that year. And this sounds you know? so similar to like startup companies trying to raise money as well. Yeah, yeah it's it, just it's yeah it's it's uh, being a startup. Like all the time, every movie's a startup. Every, every time you do, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, while while you call yourself a production company, you're you're a few people, you know. Right. Um, and then once you're greenlit, you actually form the production company. Sure, you know. So it's, yeah, it's it's doing that over and over and over. And and it, you know, that's one of those things that when I compare it to the military, that's like, to me, I'm like, that's so stupid, you know. Um, why why is it? But you know, 
that's also I try to remind myself that's kind of like an arrogant egotistical thing to say like that would be like you know Steven Spielberg coming to a Ranger Battalion being like why the fuck do you do it this way this is dumb <laughs> I'm like you were a fucking director you're for 30 years you've never been here shut the fuck up so like when I've, I've been in the movie business for a year and me coming in and being like hey the way they do this is dumb then I'm like wait well no Maybe I'm dumb. Don't sell yourself too short, though, man. I mean, that's how people end up disrupting industries, right? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. coming in with a fresh perspective and things. Yeah. Things do change over time. So. Yeah. yeah, I watched Entourage. Vinny Chase turned the industry on its head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think back in the day, you had studios that had long-term contracts with actors and directors where everything was locked up right within the system and so it really was much more of a a siloed type industry Mm -hmm. than hey you know pitch this project like form the team and then kind of fall apart for the next thing yeah yeah and you know like we were as we were like making our company and like talking about different ways of doing it we were initially like man what if we worked for or, or what if we pitched you know us being, we're called War Office Productions. What if, if we were, call it Sony? What mm-hmm. if we were the the War Office at Sony, and we did everything that we do now, but we work for Sony, right? And Sony pays us, and and then we're like, eh, like just just toying with it. Like while that's a really cool concept and really a cool idea in your head, then you when you dig in and you start looking at these like I don't want to call them like boutique, but like smaller production companies, you know, like the ones that are owned by an actor, say mm-hmm. like. Let's call it Spike Lee, right? So what does Spike Lee make? He makes movies about black people, right? Like, do the right thing and all that. So it's like, yeah. you know, those are the movies he makes. Everybody knows it, right? There's no black movie division at Sony, right? So then we're like, well, fuck. But while they don't have that division, that's what makes Spike Lee awesome. And that's what makes people bring projects to Spike Lee's production company because they're like, Hey, we have this movie that's set here, and I think it's like in your wheelhouse. They're not going to bring that brand of movie to just anybody, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not just willy nilly picking a production company. So, what it takes is identifying what makes you different and why people are going to bring a certain type of movie to you, right? You can't, I mean, at, at our level, you can't be like, hey, I make great movies, all types. I bring think me your shit. Any brand, if you try and be everything to everyone, you end up being nothing to no one, right? Exactly. Cheesecake factory conundrum. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like we are, you know, if you want to make an authentic, responsible, ethically told, military ethically told movie, <laughs> then bring it to us and we'll make sure that that, that happens. You yeah. know? Um, or, you know, or we'll talk you through, not or, while doing it, we will help you through the process of realizing that what really happened isn't going to be a good movie, right? We that's why I always talk about the difference between realism and authenticity. You know sure. I mean? um, nobody wants to watch. Uh, nobody wants to watch you go hit a dry hole. Yeah, right? man. But how, you know how does that? Um, how does that translate over? Right? Like as, as as vets with some sort of background in soft, we've you and I have both experienced events that have been retold historically or yeah. you know and anecdotally like as we move forward like oh this one thing that happened the way it's remembered the way it's told publicly is not how it was experienced right, right? like i mean the idea that uh you know <laughs> i guess we're seeing it right now with um the roberts ridge medals of honor 
right? Ugh. Conflicting, conflicting reports. Oh um, yeah, you know, and and different people see traumatic events different ways. And I mean, there are reports, and then there's the outlier. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, and and time certainly sculpts the way people see events. Like, I mean, Marcus Luttrell is a prime example. Yeah. Like, he didn't stop what he was doing after the events portrayed in Lone Survivor happened and and write a book. He mm-hmm. talked to somebody that wanted to retell the story. They interviewed him. He went on, continued being a Navy SEAL. His memory of how those events went down are in direct conflict with the memories of the locals who remember the story. I mean, they're in direct conflict of his story. But, yeah. Over time, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Like, he sees things now in a way that he did not see them when he was initially interviewed or when he consulted on the movie, which is even, you know, it varies from the details of the book, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, as a consultant, knowing these things, like, you know that you're sacrificing some of the details of the story for the sake of telling the story, right? right. Yeah, I mean, the way, the, I don't want to say the way I, what is it when you make something that's bad okay to yourself? Whitewashing? Is that how no, we say like it? There's like word for it. <laughs> uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, way I, the way I kind of like make it okay is, here's the thing, if, let's say we're telling a story about uh, Takargar, okay? Yeah. And there's a movie being made about it and they take some license, but nothing is like, Bad. Yeah, it's right? like the twelve strong type thing, right? Like right. we're still painting these guys in a heroic light, we're yeah. taking great liberties. So what that will do is it'll shed some light on that event so that people can go and find out what happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's a movie to entertain people. They pay ten bucks to go see a movie. It's not it's not a class at a college. There's not a professor standing up there telling you this is what happened. These are the events it, as they happened. It's based Unadulterated. on story. Yeah. So yeah. like you know, I think it's better. To, and that's why I kind of use the word responsibly. As long as it's like responsible, you know, if you're not making good guys seem like bad guys or, you know, lying about or building a cult of personality around a person for things that they didn't actually do, that's a that's a byproduct. That's nobody's fault. Fair enough. You know, so yeah, I think it's better to get those things out there, tell them, and you know, it's going to shed light. Let let's say that the somebody completely misrepresent themselves, total liar, right? All that's going to do is get people to go up and peel the onion back on them, you know? So it'll, it'll, it'll come out in the wash eventually. So it, yeah, it, it, it sucks that we can't have everything be exactly right, but it's better to get the story out there, in my opinion. Um, well, I mean, I think that in, in it, 20 years when, when I'm, you know, when I'm Ron Howard, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be telling nothing but the truth. Well, I mean, I guess that is an excellent point, right? Like, it begs the way we've perceived things in the past as well. Like, where you say, like, um, I mean, look at the World War II propaganda films. Like, we all grew up on World War II. Yeah. And Viet- I mean, there's a significant lack of Vietnam propaganda films that were pro warfighter, pro soldier, pro whatever. I know you hate the term warfighter, but. Except, like, <laughs> the best Vietnam movie ever, Green Berets. Fair enough. And that was absolutely propaganda, propaganda right? Yeah. 100% propaganda. And John yeah. Wayne, who was a big-time World War II propaganda film uh, star as well, was the, the you know, ringleader behind mm-hmm. that production. So, But when we look at the way we remember things from World War II, like now as, as cognizant 
progressive 21st century people. We talk about, you know, like the firebombings of Dresden yeah. and a lot of like the loss of lives of innocents throughout Europe as the Allies took it back from the Nazis. But we don't really tell anything but PR glitz about a lot of like the metal citations. We don't we don't know. Man, I think our, our, the level of propaganda is so much lower than it was when we were kids during the Cold War, though. To yeah. me, I think things, I mean... It was we, a different kind of propaganda, right? Like, you were made to fear the communists. Like, there was a dialogue told here and in Russia that made us both afraid of each other. And now, as, like, traveling adults with a fallen Iron Curtain, we meet Russians. And, like, I understand that on a global scale, we still have, we're still at odds with each other. Like politically, sure, and and economically, but we recognize that Russians are people not much different than ourselves, but with a a insatiable thirst for potato based alcohol. <laughs> 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 I mean, like, but I, I like most of the Russians I've met. I mean, they have idiosyncrasies, but they're not ogres. Well, I mean, the question is: is there? Well, there's a number of questions, but, you know, is one of those things more damaging to us as a society to either, you know, mm. false, falsely glorify people in the military to, you know, falsely, uh, you know, basically vilify our political or, you know, I guess non-political enemies? Um, I mean, you look at the World War II propaganda, it's like like Rocky, or not World War II, but, uh, you know... Uh, Cold, Cold War, War propaganda, yeah. you know, like Rocky Four and like Red Dawn, and yeah. you know, um, that kind of stuff was so, so over the top, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, I but think, we believed it, man. Like, I mean, I know, I mean, I did, grew up right. We did believe it. Yeah. Uh, the question though is, is today the stuff that you guys are talking about? Hey, stories that are, you know, like maybe based on truth, but are are kind of twisted in a way that creates a lot of falsities like is there is there something more inherently disingenuous about those yeah. types of stories and you know does it does it really matter you know what, like if that if that motivates some some kid to go join the army like is that a bad thing i've right? always thought that actively pitching propaganda was better than peeling back the onion <laughs> like, yeah i mean if you look at uh like i think Tom Hanks mm -hmm. developing this like very deep seated kind of like anti-war mentality over the course of his career as an actor, right? Like you, we, we saw him in like Band of Brothers. I'm not Band of Brothers, but um, when he was in uh, State of Private Ryan, right? Mm -hmm. And like we watched this movie as like this story of triumph of like, you know, heroism to you know, save an American life that, you know, like to protect the concept of family back home. And I think that like, as a, I, I don't know what Tom Hanks's feelings were at that point filming that movie, but I know as an adult, we watched band of brothers to death, mm -hmm. like deployed, you know, like it was like, the, Hey, we're going to watch band of brothers again. And we all liked band of brothers because band of brothers is this, Private Ryan or band of brothers, band of brothers, right. like actually band of brothers, like which was produced Mm -hmm. by Tom Hanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that was this glorification of this kind of like upright American soldier. Yes, there were like warts, but all in all, it was this good guy from the West coming to save Europe from, from the bad Germans. And there was like some nuance in the Band of Brothers talking about like the, you know, the, the normal lives of front 
line soldiers, but it was very <clears throat> clear that there was the good guy and the bad guy, the positive effort and the bad effort, and it was a very classic propaganda line of discussion. World War II itself as a conflict was much more clearly drawn as far as... But the caveat there is the Pacific. When the Pacific came out, and rather than talking, like, we all looked at all the guys in Band of Brothers, and like, you know, you had the guy uh, who was... Uh, what was the what was the guy's name? Garnier, Bill Garnier, right? Like, dude's mm-hmm. like he's man whoring around Europe and like gets the clap or whatever. And like, ah, I'm still sick, but I'm going back to the front lines. Like, these guys are regular dudes, but they're guys that you know, you're looking up to, and they're like hard nosed guys with a lot of experience throughout the entire campaign. When you and and they don't peel that back. I mean, the closest you get was with the lieutenant who like. Basically, is crushing booze. Like it's his job. Or the guy. No, uh, I, I saw it different. I think they. I think they really humanized those guys. Well, in my opinion. I, I in maybe in a different way. I guess like when I say the Pacific, like the Pacific was about humanizing those guys to a point where they were almost antiheroes. You know, like yeah, and I think that's that's one of those things. I mean, it's it's going to be on the director and like kind of the feel that they get from. When they read that script, and 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 the also so you know, Band of Brothers is based on Dick Winter's book. Yep, who is retired Ranger qualified Colonel Korean War. Like, well, he didn't go to Korea, but yeah. you know what I mean. Like, and then the Pacific is based off Eugene Sledge's book, who conscientious sub- who did yeah yeah like four years and then basically became like a pacifist. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's. Yeah, you're looking at it through different lenses, right? While they're produced by the same people, they're a completely different voice. You know, sure. so. and I understand, and I think that the different voice is fine. I didn't, I didn't, I, I don't hate the Pacific, or even dislike it. It was certainly not what I was expecting walking in to see it as a series, and even more so was looking at the humanization of the heroes. You know, like John Bassalone, and yeah. like basically painting these guys as like, I mean. It's, you know, it was some sad shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think what, because, you know, how the Pacific and Band of Brothers are kind of like linked, I think what they wanted to do, knowing that they were linked, and, and you remember that there's a scene in the Pacific with the cab driver and the, 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 uh, the guy that came back and was a sports cast, the curly-haired guy. Can't remember his name. But anyway, I think that what they really wanted to convey with the Pacific was just the misery of that theater. And I think in really, really showing their their protagonists and those really fucking low points, like yeah. shitting their pants and pissing their pants and yeah. like crying, that was their their way of showing like, dude, the Pacific was a different story. Like, yeah, you got killed in in, in Europe, but you didn't have dysentery, you know? So I think that is kind of more what we're seeing. Like, and there's that scene in the scene. It's like when one of the guys comes home, uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's one of the main characters. He comes home. He's, he's from Chicago. He comes home and he's getting out of the cab and he goes to hand the cab driver some money and the cab driver, he's in uniform. The cab driver's like, Hey man, you're not paying me. I jumped into Normandy. I may have had to like, you know, dodge kraut bullets, but I never had to deal with, you know, Berry Berry and fucking yeah, you know, tropical rain and crabs and all this shit. So I think that was really in doing that. That's what they were doing it for was to convey that like misery of how much worse it was physically. Maybe not necessarily 
danger wise, but just day to day life of being a grunt in the Pacific. I think it would be good for us to like, I think that as soldiers, we see that the greatest among us is not a superhuman. Like, yeah. We know that. I mean, we know guys that have received some of the nation's highest honors and they are all humans. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and I do. Some of them are better humans. Like, like some of them are better at martial tasks than others, Yeah, but they're human beings. Right. And I think that the, the problem in, in a lower participation rate in our society with war is the temptation for people who aren't taking part in these conflicts to look at soldiers as godlike yeah. hero figures when really, man, <laughs> dude, we got, they got the I same mean, we problems. Were just talking about shooting our pants yeah. like half an hour ago. <laughs> which, so. I yeah. mean, which is hilarious because that's just a funny thing, right? Like, hey, yeah. it's just something that we're willing to talk about. But, like, the reality is, like, hey, you think your marriage is tough. Guess what? Mine sucks too. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, we have a relationship and we work through it. Uh, but, I mean, you look at other guys like, man, just because this dude did something good in the military doesn't mean that you should model your entire life after this guy. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, the higher we put people, like the higher that pedestal is, like the farther there is to fall, right? And any anyone that's placed on a pedestal is still a real human being, just like you said. And the more... The more exposure there is, like the more they're put under that microscope, you know, the more that all the all the normal bullshit stuff that every every person has going on in their life comes out. It's like, but wait a minute, maybe this guy really is a douchebag. But you know, uh, nobody expects no, nobody expects normal people to shift gears that much, right? Like you look at mm -hmm. uh, like but Mike we, Tyson. Nobody. Oh, you mean he hit his his girlfriend? I guess that's not really that hard to believe since he was beaten as a kid and then his whole job is to like crush people's heads in, right? Right. But then you look at a soldier and you're like, man, I can't believe that guy got 16 DUIs and beat his five wives. And you're like, ah, it's not so easy to turn it on and off, I guess, huh? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's as you're, I mean, going back to what we're talking about and that in movies or TV, when you, you know, when we, when we have these projects and you're, and you're pitching it, you have... Before it ever gets made, you have kind of a, a, a voice that you want to carry. You have a, a look you're going for, you know. So, yeah, maybe the look is, you know, is the look uh, training day or is the look, you know, um, Dirty Harry? Like, very, very different, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, Dirty Harry is like, oh, he's, he's rough around the edges, but he gets the job done. He's just a great heart of gold guy. And then... You know, God, have you gone back and watched those movies like in Training Day? No, like the Dirty Harry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any of the like any of the 70s hero movies really like I'm like, ooh, they are cringeworthy, bro. <laughs> the Training Day true story, by the way, is fucking mind blowingly yeah. awesome. The, yeah. ra the uh, Rampart? The Rampart crash. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just throwing it out there. But anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, those, th you know, they, those. It's not like they had a script. And then they were just like, go. And it just happened to come out that way. Sure. You go into it like, hey, I want this this to feel like oh, this. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, 12 Strong is not going to showcase someone. But, you know, maybe, I don't know if there's an example of, of another one. You know, thank you for your service. Maybe you could show, yeah. show that. Like, the, I haven't the darker seen, side of that. I haven't seen any of those movies. And increasingly, like, as I remember when I first got in, like, Black Hawk Down was my favorite movie. You mm -hmm. know, like, man. 
this is what it's going to be like. And I think like over time and a longer career, like it's not that I'm like, I'm not triggered by war movies. I don't, it's not like I, they're not like they're onerous to me. I feel like I should be excited to watch 12 strong, like uh, as a vote of support for the, you know, the brotherhood. But at the same time, I'm you just know, like, it's just going to make you mad, right? Uh, no, like I don't, I may be just disappointed. You disappointed know, like, it's a better like yeah, I'm just gonna watch it hoping that this thing is rad and that my boy Will Summers is gonna be featured doing the heroic things that he actually did in real life and then I'm like going well that that Chris whatever his name is is super handsome what's uh <laughs> what is what is the the Green Beret feedback on that movie I haven't seen it yet either um, I think it's mixed like yeah. I, I've I in, in private chat rooms <laughs> the it seems like some guys are of your, you know, the mindset, like, hey man, it's a movie and it brings awareness to something that happened. Yeah. And other guys are like, this isn't what happened at all. Like, what a false representation. And you're like, eh, who cares? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't mean to say who cares. No, no, I think you're but right. I side with the people yeah. who are like, dude, SF is one of the most heavily fucking deployed units in the military. And, and the last there's movie, nothing about Yeah, the last movie we really had made was The Green Berets, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, Rambo. Yeah, Rambo. I mean, which again, what a what a representation. Yeah. Was I there, mean, was there any clarity on on the the team and Predator, or were they just super secret? Unnamed? Um, they weren't Green Berets because he knew these guys. He knew they these men. They were from Fort Bragg. <laughs> yeah. Um, the rest of the guys, I, I, they were a super secret gang of JSOC rejects. That's all I can assume. All right. They're Dutch. they're the same unit from Mile Twenty Two. <laughs> they're Overwatch. Perfect. They get shit done. Yeah, um, that's a good plug right there, man. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. It's hard. I think in the soft community where the seals not not necessarily institutionally, although it's certain it certainly feels more institutional <laughs> the longer it goes on, mm-hmm. have abused their PR mouthpiece yeah in some ways it's amazing like i've definitely i have long preached that the seals are doing it right in a lot of ways like from a public affairs officer standpoint like orchestrating a a naval special warfare movie you know like mm-hmm. uh you know, this is this is highlighting what we do this is a great recruiting tool and we're using some seals You're talking about active valor yeah active valor was, I mean, that was a great propaganda movie i mean i i still ray was in that it was he really he, he was in the in the cast, yeah. I was still like, I will watch that movie again. It was really well done. The acting was was good. I've watched YouTube clips of it guys. just to get screen grabs to like send them to make fun of them. But yes. that's, that's <laughs> it. But it is, it's cool. Like yeah. they did I a mean, great job. The action scene's really cool. Like the main action. scene. They had a lot of great resources. I think they shot it well for what it was. Like, and I think that it it put out a positive message about the unit in a way that NSW wanted it to be seen and the Navy wanted it to be seen. And I think that that is what the model for like public engagement should be moving into the 21st century, not letting guys determine what it is on their own. Cause like, I mean, with a lot of stuff we do here at Softly, I go to my command or I go to a PAO and I'm like, Hey, these are some things I want to do. Um, <laughs> this is how I see your message being. Is that cool? And usually they'll tweak a couple things and be like, Hey, yeah, that's a good thing. Just do it. and Don't embarrass us. And I'm like, that's not the guidance. Like, I think I need more guidance than that. But I feel like that's probably what goes on when a guy like, uh, what's his name, Owen, uh, Mark Owen's like, I'm going to write a book about killing Osama bin Laden. And uh, I'm going to make NSW look great. And somebody was like, yeah, sure, man. Just don't embarrass us. And 
that was all the <laughs> that was, that was well, I mean, all he got. I don't. Did he get? He didn't get any approval. No. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, that's that's the issue with with guys with a run lot wild, of those right? Guys, they're just yeah. they're, they're running wild, you know. And but I know and that who is going to be who's going to be the first with, civilian to be like you guys are out of line. Well, like, and it's not even just the civilians. Like because the culture in NSW has been to not publicly out other mm-hmm. seals, these guys kind of get away with it from their community. And civilians are like, well, if he's doing something wrong, why aren't why aren't the guys that were there? Saying he's a liar, mm-hmm. and typically, like, uh, what was the, what's the guy's name who ran? He was the SEAL officer who ran for Congress. Yeah, and they're and they crucified him. The SEALs came after him with like a, a well, slur campaign. The latest, the guy that's the governor of Missouri. This is the guy. Yeah. So he's the governor of Missouri. Yeah, he's yeah. not a okay. Yeah, he, yeah. So he was elected. Yeah, but yeah. he got elected, and yep. then no, no, nobody came after him. Before well, he, well, before, yeah, before, they were like, hey. while he was running, there was a lot of like smear campaigns against yeah. him from SEALs that were like, hey, this guy is using his credentials as a Navy SEAL to get elected. But these are the reasons that like he wasn't really like, yeah, he's misrepresenting his service, yeah. right? Yeah, nobody cared. Yeah, but now, yeah, you know, Opa Daisy. Yeah, yeah. Now it's starting to come back. Yeah, I mean, and there's and and there's, you talk to seals, and they say like, I mean, they are they're they're very conscious guys that are guys that I worked. I mean, I worked with guys this last deployment, man, and they're great guys, and they were very conscious about like not being on social media, not like publicly talking about what they were doing because they know that the reputation is mm-hmm. one way, and they don't want to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, that's. That's the same thing as the, you know, if we look at, at that organization as, as a person, it's the same. It's the bridge building, you know, the yeah, bridge yeah. building goat fucker. Because for, yeah, like I know tons of SEAL, they're great dudes, but it takes how many, how many guys have actually like gotten off the boat and been a piece of shit, like when compared to them as a whole? Um, well, and certainly the ones that are a piece of shit are the ones that are in the spotlight, right? They're the ones that are like out looking for sponsorships, looking to be in films. Yeah. Like they're the ones that like are not representative of the main body. Right. Also, because they're such they're in such a in the spotlight, other units see that and they're like, man, I, I want to be anything but that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so it, instead of getting a positive message out and talking about like yeah. the the really good things that aren't secret, they're not classified, yeah. like no one wants to be the one that says something and then gets crucified over it. Dude, yeah. I mean, I, I'm i not even telling – like, I didn't write a book. I didn't write a movie about anything I did. But I still I, – I get a good ration of shit from guys sometimes. Like, oh, you're going to do that. Huh? You're going to Navy SEAL now. I'm like, all right, man. But in the meantime, if a Ranger movie comes out that's garbage because it's made by a guy who was, you know, who was attached to Rangers once – you're going to bitch. You're going to be fucking pissed, you know? So it's, it, you know, it's that you got to have somebody that you got to have, you got to have an advocate there or else you got to just live with what you get. Well, the quiet professional thing, like the silent professional, which is the go-to now, which is, I think is garbage. Uh, like I will buy, did that, come out? Is that, I, did that come out when we started calling people in Iraq Arabs? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I hear you. You're irrelevant. Silent, silent professional is a term that people throw around, which is, an adaptation from quiet professional, which like I get the idea behind it, but it's like a bunch of like a lot of older SF guys was like, Oh yeah, be the gray man, be the gray man. Fuck you. Like, yeah, don't be the gray man. 
I want to see dudes that are trying hard and standing out, right? Like, if you're the gray man, if we go through an entire course and I don't know who the fuck you are at the end, good for you. <laughs> like, you made it, bro. But you're the poster child for Yotingo Mio. Like, I yeah. got mine. Yeah. You're not the poster child for the dude that I'm like, I want that dude on my team. I want to bring him over here. I want to yeah. teach him what I know. And who who do we want telling our stories? The guy who's a good dude and feels like, hey, I have a responsibility to do this. Or the guy who's a big enough shitbag to go against your whole ethos. Yeah. Right? So we should set up a, a culture in which, like, yeah, hey, by all means, tell these stories. Here are your fucking left and right limits for it. Yep. Which, if you're a good dude, you'll follow. But instead, we say, hey, if you go out and tell your story, you're a pile of shit. So guess who tells stories? Piles of piles shit. Piles of shit. Yep. Right? So, yeah, it, it's, it's ending that. And then the fucking, I mean, we've had talks about this before, the fucking OPSEC, you know, Nazis. God. Like, dude. They know we ride on helicopters. <laughs> they know we can see in the dark it, with these special glasses we have screwed to our super foreheads. Super weird. We we live in a castle in the yeah. middle of a desert that we yeah. built with heavy equipment. We fly <laughs> in and out of it. Remember thirty times a day, usually at reasonably fixed times, and almost always at night. Remember when there was that big thing on uh, Facebook where we were like, "Look, these morons kept their GPS yep. watches on, and, and now they know they're at this like." What the fuck do you think people around there think is going on? Like, <laughs> right. whoa, dude. Hey, we cracked the code. There's Americans in there. We know because they're fucking doing their run splits on the fucking airfield every day. Ah, oh, man, I cra- we're going to win the GWAT now. <laughs> fucking die fiddles. Like, uh, yeah, it's just people who want to make themselves feel really fucking cool. Like, yeah, soft is cool, but we don't do anything all that. We're not, we're not Jason Bourne. You some, know what I mean? And some guys, some guys are legitimately working within parameters that require them to not talk about what they're doing or where they are. And okay, I accept that. And I know who those guys are and they know who they are. And a lot of those guys who you think wouldn't be talking about it or be engaged in social media while they were out working are because they understand their left and right limits. They're like, Hey man, I know what I'm allowed to talk about, what I'm not allowed to talk about. I'm not going to talk about what I'm not allowed to talk about. And I am going to just, be a normal human being with the digital yeah. footprint, right? Yeah. So, like this idea that we we send Green Berets and and Rangers, for that matter, to do unclassified missions in locations where it's known that the U.S. is engaging in military operations. What operational security violations are we making by simply stating arbitrarily we are in a general vicinity working for the U.S. government or not? Yeah. Yeah, we're not naming times. We're not naming places. Yeah. We're not compromising operational activities. Or yeah, or or our persec. Like we're not naming names and social security numbers. Yeah, or writing a book or making a movie about something twelve years after it happened. Exactly, like, where it's not time sensitive. And holy it's, shit, Rangers do raids at night. Whoa, exactly. I mean, so yeah, it's it. A lot of that. Those guys bitching are dudes that want to feel really relevant well, and really cool. And certainly dudes that don't understand. It's mostly junior guys who had their dicks slammed in a car door for operate for security violations <laughs> their whole career. Like, oh, you were an E4 or an E5, and you had some idiot E6, E7 who like didn't want you posting about everything on the internet. So like anytime you did something on the internet, they crushed you. Yeah. It wasn't an, an OPSEC violation. They were just controlling you as a child. Yeah. In the yeah. way that the army controls yeah. people. They or, were bracketing you yeah. hard. Hard. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so like that doesn't make you an OPSEC 
expert. Like you get out of the military, like, oh man, I can't believe you're using Facebook. Master Sergeant never let me use Facebook. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, bro, I get it. Uh, your Master Sergeant put those rules in place because he didn't trust you. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was a private, we were doing uh, like a rotary wing bilat and we were with 160th. And dude, don't pull your fucking camera out on the flatline. Don't take pictures of the birds. Hey, those are fucking 160th. Like, no shit, a month later after I had that experience, Popular Mechanics did a fucking article <laughs> on Task Force 160th <laughs> with like tail numbers and everything. Like, dude, everything. Like, these are the best of the best. They fly special. Like, I was like, whoa. And, and at the time, I was like, whoa, this is fucked up. They shouldn't. And like, <laughs> like, no, they, like, someone told them that was okay to write that article. Well, like, not to mention, know? I'm not even sure. Like, there are times where I'm like, I, you know, like how they, you, t- you take your name tapes off much more so that like the general doesn't know who you are when he's actually like riding a Gomar. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, man, those dudes are doing some stuff I didn't approve of. Let's bring them in and talk to them. Like, hey, man, my name is Private Smith. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, like it's the same thing with like when you talk to pilots and they're like, hey, man, take all the pictures you want of this bird. Just uh, don't take pictures of the tail number. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not because the tail number is like secretive. It's just because the pilot doesn't want to be tied to any pictures that are yeah. floating around the yeah. internet like yeah. oh no man that totally was some other you know like green <laughs> helicopter that <laughs> my, my favorite just ridiculous op- that I'm able to blow the OPSEC Nazis just heads explode I don't know if you guys ever did you ever when you were on a camp did they say hey don't wear your leader markings like don't wear your leaderboards uh no yeah that was a big thing in regiment like hey oh you're going to chow you're leaving comp- take your leaderboard off like alright all right, why but I'm going to put it on when I go out on target and the only people that are going to be out on target are bad guys. So, in theory, <laughs> the only people who get to see this thing are the people that we're trying to hide it from. Shouldn't I be wearing it in the chow hall and taking it off for missions then, if that's, like, our concern? And, pe- and dudes just, like, give me the fucking confused puppy head tilt. They're like, well, just, yeah. If you want to look fucking cool in the chow hall, that's cool. Just wear it, whatever, fuck, piece of shit. But that's why I'm not, at, that's why I'm not in the army well, anymore. Well, and everybody... Everybody has rules that they establish. Like they, they have a guideline that they turn into a personal rule. Yep. So like standards versus pet peeves. Sergeant Major's guidance is that you don't draw attention to yourself. <laughs> Boom. I'm with you, bro. You're right. Like as an SF guy on this camp, like we're outliers. We probably shouldn't be drawing attention to ourselves. Like so when we got in country, uh, the guidance from State Department was like uh, wear roughs. Like wear wear uniforms no patches don't wear mm. patches under no circumstances are you to wear patches because we don't want everybody on this camp to know that you guys are a bunch of special forces guys right you're like well first of all like we have mustaches and beards and we're wearing we're in shape we're wearing not yeah we're in shape amongst a bunch amongst a bunch of reservists it was interesting um and like we're in non-standard uniforms that you know like are there are issue but it's non-standard mm-hmm. and we live in a walled off compound that everybody's like what's in there nothing don't worry about it you know yeah. like nothing special <laughs> nothing special what so sergeant major comes in he's like you know uh my only real guidance is that you guys shouldn't be wearing those uh uniforms into the chow hall you know you highlight yourself as special forces when you wear those uniforms with no patches so you know you should probably put those patches on you're like Oh hey, thanks for that, Sergeant Major. Uh, we have we have direct guidance. The exact opposite of that. Before 
this trip. He's, he's tracking your patch. Says special forces, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, wait, why would I put a special forces patch on my uniform to prove that I was one of like like ten dudes on this camp that could wear this patch? And like, I just like your head explodes. Like the guy's giving you like, hey, this is a chance for uh, non commissioned officer professional development. Also, like idiocy. Yeah. Hey, Roger I, that. Also, could we have a talk? I think mo- I, I've actually said this before, and it, it applied to regiment, but it sounds like it applies to other places, is deployed uniforms for soft units in and around the conventional army are like a do-it-yourself haircut. Oh, yeah. They they've, gotten, they've, <laughs> they've gotten like tinkered with so much that like now you're just staring at this lopsided, fucking uneven pile of shit. You're like... What am I wearing right now? Like, but it's it's a product of like years and years of being. Uh, take take that off and then wear this instead, and then uh, you know, hey man, flip your shirt inside out. Uh, don't wear those boots to chow, but you can wear them for breakfast, but not for dinner. Uh, and don't wear that to the gym. Yep. But if you're going on a mission, you can wear that. But take your hat off and put it in your pocket. Yep. And you're like at the end, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, dude, I mean, like, I just this air quotes deployment was amazing because I pretty much just, I mean, I, we wore whatever we wanted. There were no uniform guidelines. I honestly think we probably would have been better served to just not brought uniforms at all for what we were doing. But I mean, I think we were three months in with our partner force guys and like we were, it's not even fair to call them partner force. They were like our advisees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, we were advising at like this operational strategic level, like kind of above actual like tactical engagement. And like three months in with a lot of rapport built, having like been really good friends with these guys showing up in a uniform and a guy an Iraqi being like, it's like, Oh man, you kept your uniforms and you got out of the army. <laughs> and you're like, no man, uh, I'm, still, day, I'm, bro. I'm still in the army. Oh, you're too old to be in the army. Like I got, I got a lot of gray hair. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> like, hurts, no man, right? I'm not, I'm not too old to be in the army. No, you're like the, you're like those contractors that come in and, and, and still teach us. Right. No man, like we're we're at, we're in the army. Oh, and then like start like I was like, man, if our partner force guys don't know that we're in the army, what do the people on the camp think? So like you start talking to people in the chow hall, like like it's oh, not important what those guys, people think. It's important <laughs> what the sergeant major thinks. Yeah, hey, you guys, you guys are in the army. Yeah, like what, we, I've never been. I so I've never been on a deployment where an SF guy I worked with didn't get his ass chewed out by a sergeant major, not in his chain of command, mm-hmm. for some minor spot correction. That he's 100% allowed to do. Well, within his chain of command, certainly. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. We had zero incidents this mm-hmm. deployment because people were so confused. <laughs> like, yeah. like, looking at us like, uh, uh, you know, like what? I, I don't even know where to start with you guys. Like Chuck Taylors and cries and like, you know, softly... Yeah. Hawaiian t-shirt. You're going to be a bear being grizzly, man. Yeah, man. Like People are just like, what? I would chew that guy's ass, but he had the balls to wear Chuck Taylors in here. He's got to be important. Yeah. Fuck with that guy. What is that? I think, again, everybody thought we were civilians, so it was totally cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and the Iraq war is a coalition war now, too, man. It's... It makes me feel so happy just not having to deal with that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to bring it back around... What, like, one-year, three-year, five-year-ish goals for the war office? Yeah, one year. Um, 
that's in like a couple months. So I think we're doing okay. We're not homeless that one year. Perfect. Um, and you know, uh, at one year, we want to have, um, we want to have our structure built. Mm-hmm. Um, have the go-to people that we always that we always use. You know, the the editor, the showrunner, the the people like that that are going to be our consistent people there, and. Most of that stuff's filled. Um, we have our, our our persons for most of those things. There's a couple other positions we're looking to fill. Um, so, like, we're, we're on track for one year. Um, three years. Um, three days. Yeah, so I, to have made two projects, either TV or feature, um, basically a, a project a year once we're up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then five years is us to not be as much the people pushing as the people pulling um, sure. and, and getting brought things um, to have those people that we are now selling to, to have those people coming to us and asking us what we have mm-hmm. is, is the five year goal. Um, yeah. So yeah. And I, you know, when you talk about building any business or, or uh, production company or whatever, it's, it's having something that no one else has. And, and that's, we 100% have it. So um, while there are a lot of vets in Hollywood, I don't think um, they have the wide-sweeping set of experiences me and me and Ray have in, you know, I like to call us surf and turf, you know, instead of shake and bake. Because we got, <laughs> you know, he's got the Navy side on the Army side. There's not a lot of, of partnerships. Like, there there are none. Yeah. Where it's, it's uh, and we're, we're on the street from several people I know in your space is that generally speaking, everyone in your space is scared of you. Me? I mean, you're an imposing person, but I mean like war office brings some stuff to the table that like a lot of people have been dreaming of providing and haven't been providing. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we talked about it the last time. Um, and it's, it's experience, you know, like you may look the same on paper, that's only going to get you so far, right? right? If you know, on paper, I'm a ranger vet. You know, to to John Q. Hollywood, a guy that did five years, and I got, and me, they don't look the same, or, or we do look the same. Right? Yeah, I mean, but, but then, then once we go, ranger qualifies enough for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly, ah! man. exactly, you, <laughs> dude. I've read some, I've read some resumes. I'm like, holy fuck, because I can read it. <laughs> And know what the guy did, sure. but then I read his resume. I'm like, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, kudos to this motherfucker for making himself sound badass. And he was, you know, changed tires on cannons or whatever. But as we as we move and we work with more and more people, they'll, you know, not they'll, they have, they've spotted that difference. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've spotted, um, and it's not just military knowledge; it's people skills. You know, like as you as you progress and you you become a leader and leader at higher levels, and you become almost not a leader, but more of a manager. All those things equate into skills that they don't even know are necessary until they've seen a guy come and bring them in and, and use them. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, holy fuck, okay. This is what a like a soft professional looks like. You know, Not a guy who was in really good shape and then carried a machine gun for three years. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a difference. And, sure. And I think that is kind of what Doug was talking about. If it, the things that we bring on is is just a fuck ton of experience, you know. And with with that experience, 
and then following the other rule of just being a good dude. Mm-hmm. Guys trust us from the community to to tell their stories or to, you know, dude. That's the that's the hardest thing for people to grasp. The be a good dude thing. Like, hey, even when it hurts, don't fuck another dude. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, unless it's consensual and it's like a, you know, the twenty first century, it's okay to fuck another dude. Yeah. But I mean, like, metaphorically, don't take advantage of another person, even when it hurts. Right? Like, yeah. hey, I made a deal with you. It was a deal that works out poorly for me in the long run, and it hurts me right now, but I'm going to honor that. Like, people don't get that. Yeah. People are like, oh, dude, you know what? I made a deal with you when things were cool, and I was flush, and it didn't seem like a bad deal to me, but it does now, and it stings, so you can go fuck yourself. (laughs) Yeah. People do that, man. And, there, you know, there's a a flip side of that coin, and and a lot of time, and with a lot of the guys that you see in in the industry and the talent is... Hey man, like you can fuck up to the point where no one's going to want to work with you. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter if you were, you know, if you have three medals of honor, like if you, if you fuck me, it doesn't matter. Or, or if you, if you, you know, are putting my rep on the line, you know, it should be the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in, and that's part of being a good dude is I'm going to bust my ass if I, if I get brought into a project or I get uh, linked up with someone through someone else, I'm busting my ass, not because I want to do a good job, and I'm busting my ass because I don't want to make that other person look bad that, that referred me to them. Yeah, no, we've had that experience here at Tough Lead. I mean, we've we've had conversations with people where, you know, they're like, hey, why don't you work with this guy? Like, you know, he did all this super cool shit. You're like, eh, but he's a turd, and yeah. we don't want to work with turds. Yeah, and... Not naming any names. And what? <laughs> and the other thing is, like, it it doesn't. I don't want to say it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know how how good of a, it's how good are you at doing what I want you to do? Mm-hmm. You know, if you were, you know, if you're Maverick in, at Top Gun, and then I, I run a car wash, and you fucking scratch all the cars, like I don't give a fuck that you. That you want Top Gun or whatever, you know. So that is that's hard for people to grasp. Like guys come into a lot of situations in in, in our business. They come into them and they're like, they're lucky to have me. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, bro. There's like ten dudes behind you that look exactly the same as you do on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so guys don't get the reliability to aspect too, right? Where Dude. it's like, yo, man, nobody moves and communicates as well as I do. I, or you know, nobody shoots and, and moves as well as I do, and you're like, yeah, man, that's cool, but you're never you're, you're never where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Yeah. You're unreliable. Yeah, that's that's I think that's a big thing with guys being kind of entitled, like we were talking about earlier with things you're doing. <laughs> is where at what point? I I don't I don't know what it is. Like when you know, right place, right time, right uniform. Don't be late. Don't be light. And and, and that. When when dealing with you know we we market our, don't market ourselves as a, a veteran owned company but that's who we are and mm-hmm. that you know like it or not if if me and and Ray were just two dudes who you know I worked at Walmart and Ray worked at Best Buy and we decided to be and we had all these same stories and I had the same slate no one would talk to us right I'm not I'm not naive to think that my past isn't what gets me in into rooms. Well, so, it's part of your experience. Exactly. But with that, I think, comes a fucking responsibility. And it's very simple. It's punctuality and looking good, right? Looking cool, you know? So 
that's really what people expect. And that and if you boil it down, it's don't be late and don't be light, you know. And it's and I'm sure you've seen it's, it's amazing how rare it is in the world. But when people go into a meeting or they or they they set off on a venture with vets, that's kind of like really that's their only expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that. I'm going to fucking storm a machine gun nest with them. It's that I'm going to be reliable. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys, um, because they had to, I think this was in your thing and it, I've run into it because they've had to do certain things. They think that earns them a right to never do them again in any setting. And it's mm-hmm. like, dude, that is the, that is the shitbag green beret anthem. I did it once. I never have to do it again. Yeah, and you're like, like, motherfucker, every day you have to fucking put that goddamn backpack on your back and you've got to walk out and you got to carry that shit. Like, mm-hmm. you don't just get to leave it in the damn firebase because you carried it once. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. everything that's in there is important to all of us. Yeah, like, I, I get it that, you know, someone told me exactly what I had to wear for 20 years, but that doesn't mean that I get to oh. wear a tank top to. You know, a business meeting doesn't yeah. it? No, no. I no. mean, so I don't. I'm uncomfortable with where this conversation's going now. <laughs> Doug is not wearing a tank top. No, but he was last week. Yeah, it was. Uh, and oh, tank did, tops are not for me. I'll tell you, get you in that. Trouble? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a softly tank top. Uh, <clears throat> I still take great. Still inappropriate. I take great umbrage at the fact that the collective internet was upset that I wore a gun bunny T-shirt to my wife's graduate school. Oh, graduation. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean. Kim didn't seem upset at all uh, until the whole internet said something and she started laughing about it. She's like, I don't know why you didn't change the collared shirt you brought us. Like, well, I don't either. We didn't go back to the house. No one would comment if I wore a collared shirt. I was around all those damn hippies. Did uh, sales for the gun bunny shirt? Spike? (laughs) I don't think that that was our demographic. (laughs) (laughs) You're not looking at the... uh... No, I had to explain in very antiseptic language uh, to a female anthropology professor what a gun bunny was and I did it in a way that that didn't get me lynched so I feel like it was a success. I stopped wearing the gun bunny shirt on set because it was just like I don't want to mess with the Weinstein stuff and you know oh, just God. explaining everything. And, right. You know, so Sometimes you I just don't want to go there man. I yeah. like to think that it's a commentary on I, I think we're leveling the stage because I'm offering women an opportunity to objectify me in the way that men have historically objectified women. <laughs> <laughs> Men can objectify you too. Yeah, well, Jesus. Like, I make one comment on the on my Instagram story yesterday about how like someone who worked at the office is upset that we don't receive more unsolicited nudes. And uh, next thing I know, I've gotten fifty topless photos of dudes in my <laughs> inbox. <laughs> I was like, well, this is, those to me? this is super <laughs> rad. <laughs> right. uh, a person who works at our company sent me a list of of men with no shirts on who suffer from gynomastia. Oh, man. Yeah, it was thoughtful of her. <laughs> All right. On that note, <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show think, you as soon as this podcast is over, Jericho. I think that might be the sign. Well, thanks for joining us today. Coming at you live from Softly HQ. We'll see you next week.